Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain, the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field to each man. For the teraphim speak iniquity, and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic horse in battle. From them will come the cornerstone, from them the tent peg, from them the bow of battle, from them every ruler, all of them together. And they will be as mighty men, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. And they will fight, for the Lord will be with them. And the riders on horses will be put to shame. And I shall strengthen the house of Judah, and I shall save the house of Joseph. And I shall bring them back, because I have had compassion on them. And they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. And Ephraim will be like a mighty man, and their heart will be glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them to gather them together, for I have redeemed them. And they will be as numerous as they were before. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries, and they with their children will live and come back. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no room can be found for them. And he will pass through the sea of distress and strike the waves in the sea so that all the depths of the Nile will dry up and the pride of Assyria will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt will depart. And I shall strengthen them in the Lord and in his name they will walk declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your holy word, and we thank you for your servants, the prophets, through which you have proclaimed your truth, the truth of the gospel of Christ, eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, that in our own life you have delivered us from idols, and now we worship you, the true and living God, through Christ. We pray, Lord, that we'll be built up in this faith and understand it better and have greater confidence in what we preach and teach and the way that we live. Grant us your guidance and grant us your insight, for we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In now chapter 10 of the book of Zechariah, our study today will be in verses 1 to 4. It's difficult to break up this chapter, but we will break it up into verses 1 to 4 and then 5 and following. It's a whole unit And this unit is continuing the blessing after a a brief rebuke and chastisement in the first few verses. It's going to continue for the rest of the chapter to explain God's redemption. And this is a continuation of what the prophet Zechariah has been preaching in chapter 9. In chapter 9, he's also been preaching that though they have sinned and though they have followed the nations around them, Yet God will redeem some of them through Christ 
as he mentioned in 9.9. And here also in chapter 10, verse 4, we have a prophecy of Christ. In chapter 10, verse 4. Though the people walk in vain, though they do not, in their sin, sinful pride, do not follow the Lord, the Lord will redeem some of them, and he will be the one who is the great actor. He is the primary cause of their redemption. That's how he explains himself in the rest of the chapter of chapter 10. But first, in verses 1 to 4, he addresses their lethargy, spiritual lethargy, and their depravity, and how it is that they live, and who it is that they follow, and how it's necessary because of this for God to redeem them out of that. Verse 1, ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain, the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field, to each man. In the land of Israel, the rains, the two main times of rain, were both in the autumn and the spring. The autumn rain is called the early rain in the Bible, and the spring rain is called the latter rain in the Bible. It was necessary in autumn because that was the time of sowing of seed for the seed to take root at the time of the autumn sowing. And then it was necessary in the springtime because the summer harvest depended upon having a lush and green and fertile soil. So this is the necessity of the people because they don't live in a land. The land of Israel is not a land that has many, many abundant waters of rivers, rivers and streams. Yes, they have some, but not enough and not large enough to keep the ground fertile year-round. So they were very dependent upon these rains. And therefore, whenever the rain was absent, they would need to ask of the Lord. And even when it wasn't absent, to ensure that they had a fruitful harvest, they had to plead with God and ask the Lord for rain. But people who are dull, people who are blind, who have lethargy in their spiritual system, they are called on here to ask rain from the Lord. Ask Him. Plead with Him. Beseech Him. Entreat Him for rain. Because they don't depend normally day by day. They're not thinking daily of asking the Lord for these blessings. Though the source of these blessings is God. Now, first, we're treating this passage in its literal sense, because in the literal, physical sense, they needed the rain. But there's more to it than just asking for rain. There is a spiritual connection to it. But first, as we're treating this in the physical, look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 17. Deuteronomy 11:13 And it shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul that I will give the rain for your land in its season the early rain and late rain 
that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. And I will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Beware, lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit. And you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. The Lord calls on them to love him and to serve him, following his commandments, and not to worship false gods, the idols of the nations. And if they do so, God will abundantly provide rain and food for them. But if they turn away to false gods, then God will withhold the rain and withhold the food, the fruitful yield and their food. This was in the physical sense. But for them to have these blessings, the surety, the guarantee of these physical blessings, what was it dependent upon? Their spiritual walk with God, their faithfulness to God, their love and trust of God, their obedience to the God of heaven who provides the rain. And therefore, they were to pray. Similarly, in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the Lord, did he not say, our Father in heaven, and then later, give us this day our daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread? Because though we need the daily bread, we are dependent upon the God of heaven, our heavenly Father, to provide it for us. So our focus always, even with the physical, should be how is our relationship to God? How is that? Hosea the prophet also makes this connection that God is ultimately our source. And he uses this analogy. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea 6, 1 to 3. Hosea 6, 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. God is the one who tears us. He's the one also who heals us. He is the one who wounds us, but he bandages us. How does he tear us and wound us? By exposing our sin. And after we have our sins exposed, Exposed, then he heals and bandages us. And this happens in Hosea 6, 2, by Christ, in Christ. Because in Christ, we have been crucified, and in Christ, we have been raised on the third day. This is just like it says in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 and verse Twenty, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ 
And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Also in Romans 6, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. And in the same way, Hosea 6, 3. If this is our redemption in Christ, then what is the rest of our pursuit in life to be? To know the Lord. To know Him, Hosea 6, 3. Because God is as certain as the dawn. He is as reliable and trustworthy as the daily dawn of the morning. And He'll come to us like the spring rain watering the earth. He is the source of our salvation. And therefore, we should seek Him. Christ, actually, in one verse, Matthew 6, 33, puts the the two concepts together. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And what are the things? Food and clothing. Lifespan. That's what people are anxious about in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. They're anxious about those things, but Jesus says, seek the Lord, and then everything else will go well with you. James as well. James, he reprimands us for not doing so. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. James 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with evil motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says, you ask, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with evil motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And who are we to ask? We are to ask God. Ask of God. James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So ask from the Lord, ask of God, because God is the one who abundantly provides not only the spring rain by means of the storm clouds, but he provides himself in our salvation, so that we have not only a fruitful harvest in a physical sense, but we have a fruitful harvest or a fruitful life, a fruitful Christian life. The tree and the branches. Christ is the tree and we are the branches of the tree. 
He is the vine, and we are the branches. John 15. John 15, 1 to 16. 1 to, eight, uh, 1 to 17. John 15, 1 to 17, where we are said to be the branches and we must bear fruit. John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 15, 8. However, Though we know and though we are encouraged here, exhorted here to ask the Lord for all that we need, what, does, what often happens? What does the flesh do? Zechariah 10.2 This is what the flesh does. For the teraphim speak iniquity and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. Instead, the people seek the teraphim. Here, it's rendered or transliterated teraphim. This is the Hebrew word that's more often in the Old Testament rendered household idols. Household idols may be render, uh, transliterated teraphim. And for some reason in Zechariah 10.2, the translators have just kept the transliteration instead of giving us the translation. The translation we find in Judges 17.5. Judges 17.5, which says, And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. Now, this Micah is Micah of Ephraim. This is not Micah the prophet. This is a different Micah in the Old Testament. This one is an idolatrous Micah, an unbelieving one, who makes a shrine, an ephod, household idols, and consecrates one of his sons to be a priest for him in his wealthy household. So he has a family priest and family idols. Here, teraphim rendered household idols. And these then become stolen by the tribe of the Danites in Judges 18.14. Judges 18.14. Then the five men who went to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their kinsmen, do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and a graven image and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. These household idols, and if you check your footnote, household idols is literally teraphim in Hebrew. These would be small idols, small enough to keep in the household and even to move about from place to place. Not difficult to carry. Well, the teraphim are said to speak iniquity and the diviners see lying visions because the diviners or dreamers or false prophets, these people, witches and warlocks, whatever words we want to use to describe them, they are the ones who speak to the idols, to the household idols. They speak to them and then whether actually or falsely, 
they report to the worshipers, to the inquirers, what the idols are saying. Sometimes these diviners just make it up, and at other times the idols do speak. Yes, literally, there are times when the idols literally do speak because the idols are inhabited by demons. They are inhabited by demons. We see this in the case of Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7. 17, 7. And they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. He says goat demons, not to sacrifice to the goat demons. And this word may also be rendered goat idols. Idols in the form of goats. And why would these terms be interchangeable? Because demons sometimes inhabit the physical image of the goat and then speak to the diviners, to the witches and the warlocks, to them, these people who are magicians and superstitious, speaking to the idol, and the idol gives them an answer, if inhabited by demons, if we're speaking of this actually and literally happening. And the Bible teaches that this is the case. Another place is Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 15 to 18. Deuteronomy 32, 15 to 18. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. This is another name for Israel. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. When they worship idols, they are said to also sacrifice to demons. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10 1 Corinthians 10. In verses 14 to 22, he exhorts us not to worship idols. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22, not to worship idols. Then he says, we pick it up at verse 19. For, uh, 10, 19. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? So then, when they worship these idols, they are worshiping demons. And if the demons speak, then 
the idolatrous priests or diviners will relay a message to the inquirer who comes to the diviner to seek knowledge, future knowledge, secret knowledge, knowledge of the spiritual world, knowledge for one's life. However, they are speaking iniquity and lying visions. Sometimes also, these magicians, diviners, diviners are lying by just making it up. They just invent whatever is on their mind to fool the inquirer. Sometimes they do that too. They haven't really seen anything, but they say they saw something. They haven't really dreamed anything, but they say they had a dream. False dreams, lying visions, and they comfort in vain. The Lord warned in the book of Deuteronomy against such people. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. They may arise, but when they arise, they are arising as our testers, or the ultimate tester is our heavenly tester. The exam proctor is from heaven. But really, God is testing us to see if we'll be faithful because he says there will be prophets and dreamers who arise to draw us away. And what are their means? Not only to worship other gods and to perform miracles, but Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. He explains their practices. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. These are the methods that they use to deceive. And these methods and these people with the methods are detestable to the Lord. This is also possible 
in the New Testament. That there might be people like this practicing false signs and wonders is also a warning in the New Testament. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 8 to 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. He says here, power, signs, and false wonders. And we shouldn't be surprised. Why so? Because 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4 says, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Verse 13, 11, 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself As an angel of light, therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. We also learn in Zechariah 10.2 that they comfort the people in vain. They have vain comfort, false assurance, false hope. They exclaim peace, when actually there is no peace. Jeremiah chapter 6. This is a common practice among false teachers. Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6 and verses 13 and 14. Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. And they have healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace. But there is no peace. They cry out, Peace, to people who are unrepentant. They cry out peace to people who are stubborn in their sins. But that's a false assurance. We find the same in Jeremiah 8, Jeremiah 8, 10, and 11. Jeremiah 8, 10, and 11. Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. 
And they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially by saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Superficially. Peace, peace. But there is no peace. This is a common, a common practice. Even it is declared to us that this would be the case in the New Testament. The New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Myths promise from the idols and false gods peace, because they don't preach repentance. However, here, the apostle tells us that we, in advance, so that we might avoid these kinds of false teachers and preachers. Preach the truth, And comfort in truth. Not comfort in vain, but comfort in truth. And then we have the consequence. What is the consequence or the result of people listening to idols and diviners, false dreams, and having vain comfort? Therefore, verse 2, Zechariah 10-2, they are, therefore, the people wander like sheep. They wander like sheep. They are scattered like sheep. They are afflicted. Doesn't a loving and kind, mindful, diligent shepherd make sure the sheep are well fed and well watered? Why is it that they are afflicted without enough greenery and not enough water? Why? Because there is no shepherd. These shepherds are not real shepherds. These shepherds are false shepherds. These shepherds only care about themselves and not about the sheep. And the consequence, the sheep are scattered. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel are very prolific on this subject. Example. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. The whole chapter is very applicable to this subject. Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll read verses 1 to 6. Jeremiah 23, 1 to 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and shall bring them back to their pasture. And they will be fruitful and multiply. 
I shall also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. In verses 5 and 6, he's speaking of Christ, the righteous branch of David. And in verses 3 to 4, he is speaking of his redemption and how he will have under shepherds under Christ. Verse 4, I shall also raise up shepherds over them. These under shepherds under Christ, they will feed the flock properly, but not the foolish shepherds, not the false shepherds, verses 1 and 2. Those false shepherds don't tend to the flock. They destroy and scatter the flock. They're not caring for the flock. They are not feeding the flock. They are not protecting the flock from the wolves. In fact, they are letting them go to the wolves. The false shepherds do that. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, another chapter the whole chapter, very relevant to our subject. Let's read a few verses here too. Ezekiel 34, 1 to 6. 34, 1 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. The false shepherds allow the beasts of the field, meaning the wild animals, like wolves, coyotes, and others, to attack the sheep. And not only that, meantime, they exploit the sheep, they take advantage of the sheep, but they don't feed the sheep. They take what they can and make themselves fat, but they don't feed the flock. These are evil, false shepherds. Zechariah expresses God's perspective on these men. Zechariah 10.3 My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. God's anger is kindled against 
these false shepherds, and he will punish the male goats. He's calling these shepherds male goats. Just another way to describe these evildoers in authority, in leadership. That they are called male goats should not surprise us because in the Bible, earlier in the Bible, such as in the book of Judges and elsewhere, they are known as such. Book of Judges, chapter 20. Excuse me, uh, not the book of Judges. Um, Male goats, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, 17. Ezekiel 34, 17. And as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats between the rams and the male goats. He's calling there the shepherds male goats. In this way, he's pronouncing and showing that that these men are not really tame and domesticated men, but they are wild men, like the beasts of the field. We find also in Isaiah 56... Isaiah 56, 56, 9 to 12. 56, 9. He describes them as akin to wild animals. 56, 9. All you beasts of the field, all you beasts in the forest, come to eat. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are dumb dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain, to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine and let us drink heavily of strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today. Only more so. These male goats, they are unsatisfied. It's hard to satiate their appetites, both eating and drinking. And that's why they exploit. They exploit those who are under their care. But God, he will protect us. He will protect his people. Zechariah 10.3, For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic horse in battle. God will make his people, his redeemed people. Here he calls them the house of Judah. Remember, many times the Bible will use words like Judah and Ephraim in the literal sense and at other times in the metaphorical and spiritual sense. Because he's speaking of redemption here, his flock, his treasured possession, the house of Judah, he means it in a ter- as a term of endearment. 
and will make them like his majestic horse in battle. God is going to make his people like mighty, strong horses in the battle. And these horses in the battle will conquer the enemy, will assist to conquer the enemy. He will raise up his flock to be like horses to destroy the enemy. This is a spiritual battle, which he's speaking of. So he is the one who strengthens us to do his work. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. 10 to 12. Ephesians 6. 10 to 12. This is the passage on the armor of God. Ephesians 6. 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's, t- he's telling us to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Because God is the one who equips us to be like the mighty, majestic horse of battle to conquer our enemies. Verse 4. In verse 4, our translation, New American Standard Bible, renders the pronoun them, from them, from them, from them, four times. Literally, it is him. Him. And then if it is literally him, we have to ask, who is the him? Or in the plural, why is it rendered them in the plural? First, it's rendered in the plural probably because of verse 5, because it becomes the plural in verse 5, and they will be as mighty men. Further describing at the end of verse 3, perhaps that's the connection that the translators see. That's why rendered in the plural. But if the original language is him, then the him could be one of two reference. Either the house of Judah or his flock in verse 3, meaning the people. And that's why also perhaps them would make sense. If it's referring to his flock or the house of Judah, it would be a collective singular him. It's a singular form, but it's referring to a group of people, similar to the English word people. The English word people is singular in form, but it has a plural meaning. The English word fish is singular in form, but it could have a plural meaning. You could talk about one fish or an abundance of fish in the net by the singular form fish. Now, that may be the case. But the third option is that the hymn refers to the Lord. And that is the Father sending the Son. The Father sending the Son. And we shall take that interpretation. 
Any one of the interpretations does not violate anything in Scripture. It does not contradict anything in Scripture. But in this context, let's go with the Father and the Son interpretation. Why so? Because of cornerstone, tent peg, bow of battle, and ruler. Because of these. Okay? Though the New American Standard does not capitalize the sea of cornerstone and so forth, we may take it that way because sometimes the NASB overlooks it or does not see a Christological prophecy in an Old Testament passage. One or the other may be the case. In this case, they may not think this is Christological. But let's take it to be Christological and we'll seek to prove that. Firstly, this word cornerstone. From him will come the cornerstone. And the him is the Lord of hosts in verse 3. And from the Lord of hosts will come the cornerstone. We should not be surprised with a messianic reference because both liberal and conservative Jewish and Christian commentators understand that Zechariah 9.9 is messianic. So we shouldn't be surprised that there is another messianic prophecy here. That's one. Number two, the term cornerstone is actually used in the prophets to refer to Christ. It is used in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 28, 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be put to shame. And the it is a neuter, English neuter pronoun, referring to the stone, the cornerstone. But if we render it him, we could easily render that because that would be the interpretation we're talking about Christ. And this is, in fact, what happens in Romans 9, 33, Romans 10, 11, and 1 Peter 2, 6, which passage we will read in a moment. Romans 9, 33, 10, 11, and 1 Peter 2, 6. But also, even before Isaiah the prophet preached this, David the prophet preached this. Psalm 118, Psalm 118, 22. Psalm 118, 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this, according to Matthew 21, 42. Matthew 21, 42. And it also in the rest of the synoptics, it is Christ. As well, in 1 Peter 2, 7, it's Christ. Psalm 118, 22 is the same as 1 Peter 2, verse 7. And now, 
If one is surprised that a ruler or a leader would be called a cornerstone, this is the earlier reference that I went to prematurely. That is Judges 20, verse 2. In Judges 20, verse 2, it says, And the chiefs of all the people, even all the tribes of Israel, took their stand in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 soldiers who drew the sword. It says in the New American Standard Bible, in verse 2, Judges 20, verse 2, the chiefs, meaning the leaders. But literally in this place, it is the word, the cornerstones. The cornerstones. And the translation chiefs is suitable in that passage. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that cornerstone is used for a ruler or a leader or a prince among the people. Having said that, this all comes together for a cornerstone in 1 Peter chapter 2. Stone or cornerstone. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 to 8. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 8. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice, precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. The Apostle Peter has quoted Isaiah 28, 16, and Psalm 118, verse 22, and Isaiah 8, 14. Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 8, 14. 14. He has quoted them as referring to Christ. So it should not be a surprise for us to read Cornerstone in Zechariah 10.4 as referring to Christ. And one more place in the New Testament on this. Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20. Having been built upon the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Further, Zechariah 10.4, he is called the tent peg. The tent peg. It is used this way of a leader... In Isaiah 22:23, it is used of a leader in Isaiah 22:23. We can read from 22 to 23. 22:22. This has reference to uh, a certain man called my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, 
in 2220. But he is here a symbol of the coming Christ. We see it in 2222. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. And I will drive him like a peg in a firm place. And he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. He's called a peg here, a peg in a firm place. And he is the one who is able to open and shut according to his own will. To open and shut according to his own will. Well, this is also said of Christ. It's also said of Christ in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, verse 7. Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Revelation 3, 7. And also 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Then, if this is the case with a tent peg, then what about the battle bow and the ruler? Well, we don't have uh, an example of Christ being called the battle bow, but in terms of him being a warrior who uses a bow, who uses weapons of war, this we do have. This we have in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, where it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. How about a ruler? From him every ruler, all of them together. Now, not only Christ as the ultimate ruler, but those who are under Christ, like under shepherds. They all come ultimately from the Father. Is Christ called a ruler? Can we call him this kind of ruler? This word appears in verse chapter 9, verse 8, in the negative sense, oppressor. Oppressor in verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8. However, it is used in a positive sense, a positive sense in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17 where he says, Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver, and instead of wood, bronze, and instead of stones, iron, and I will make peace your administrators and righteousness your overseers. Righteousness your overseers. That which is rendered overseer in Isaiah 60, 17 in the positive sense, 
is akin to a positive use of the word in Zechariah 10.4. This is necessary to understand because some think the ruler in verse 4 is a negative, oppressing ruler, when that's not the case. Isaiah, Isaiah in 60 verse 17 and Zechariah in 10 verse 4 means it in the positive way. And if it is in the positive way, it is Christ. Though a different Hebrew word is used in Micah 5.2, it still says ruler. From you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah 5 and verse 2. And also, in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Old Testament of Zechariah 10 verse 4, the Aramaic Targum says Messiah here. They understood this verse to be messianic or Christological in Zechariah 10 verse 4. So then, we should seek the Lord, specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ. Seek Him. He is the source of all blessings, not the idols of the world and not those who tout and follow and consult the idols of the world. We should reject them and only follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.